So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Semicolon. Yeah. Um, uh, designing dystopia. Like that's that's part of the series, dystopia. right? Dystopia. Right. We're, we're doing a whole series on dystopias. Yeah. So um, because we're art and design, this is the design portion where we're talking about the design of dystopias. It, actually, it would be interesting to talk about um, some of the art that is expressing dystopian ideals, ideas, right, or ideals, like. Yeah. Um. So I thought. I thought oh, like Bosch paintings. Yeah. Just, you know, it is pronounced Bosch, right? It's not Bosque. Uh, well, well, I don't know, but I said it both ways. So I have to be at yeah. least half right. 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 We'll just, whichever one was right. Just pretend you heard that one. Right. Um, yeah. Well, okay. So before we get on it off on a tangent right away, uh, originally we had intended to kind of talk about dystopian ideas in films in general and obviously this won't be um an exhaustive list of films this will just be kind of us kind of talking about some films we can think of that that express some ideas so before we do that why don't we do a little recap of what we've kind of covered so far um if you're listening to this episode and you haven't listened to some past ones we we started this maybe a couple episodes ago um where we talked about the idea of designing like the superlative dystopia um like how does one go about creating a perfect dystopia and um why don't you you have some notes so we've identified like some key features we think might play a role um nothing obviously set in stone we'll we'll kind of continue to explore those as we as we continue this discussion so yeah and there's probably like some pretty good writing on the stuff out there i like i haven't really looked to be honest because it's just we the whole point of this is just to pull stuff off the top of our head and see where it goes so uh like what when we were discussing this uh earlier and uh in the first recording in the series Mm -hmm. we decided that any anything you know like you anything you can do you can do well even if the thing that you're doing is judged to be morally or ethically bad right right so, uh, if you're designing a dystopia, yeah, and you want to design it well, right? Um, we think these are some of the, the um, I don't know what would you describe them like the key ingredients in a I think pillars a robust dystopia. Yes, yeah, a pillars robust. of a robust dystopia. Yeah. Um. So fierce competition, possibly forever decreasing resources. Yes. Right. Uh, the, uh, the moral framework that might makes right. Right. Yes. That seems to be um, a pretty key ingredient. Right. Uh, state control. So thought police, um, human resources, like treating humans like resources and not like humans. So like as a means to an end, for example, Uh huh. slavery, big time. Gotta have lots of slavery in a dystopia. Really right. unfair. Just all the time. Unfair. Um, there has to be some kind of a, like, reality suppressing or dissociative, but non-fatal, not too degrading 
drug available for people to like escape for a little while to right like some kind of some kind of opioid kind of action that is sort of state-sponsored or um like they put it in the water yeah yeah to kind of like subdue sub some something to subdue um rebellion and to kind of keep that in check yeah kind of sap the will of the people right mm-hmm. um, yeah what's funny is like the now disgraced prairie home companion show that yes. Harrison Keeler wrote um was like uh, he kind of churned out an awful lot of career off of like what was kind of a passing funny thing but uh nonetheless that asshole did come up with some funny stuff from time to time and yeah. one of the things that they did on the prairie home companion was um advertisements for ketchup yep ketchup advisory board yes which is like such a brilliant satire of minnesota i can't even stand it Uh and for those who have not heard it it's essentially this guy who is experiencing an existential crisis and tries to confide in his wife about it right and this is the format of every one of the commercials, right? There's, yes, uh, there's yeah. many of them. Right. And so he approaches his wife and says, here's the thing. I, I just have this like gnawing in my soul. I have to feed it. And I think that I think we've been doing it all wrong. Like I want to quit my job and we need to move to here and do this and that and the other thing. And some of them weren't even that dramatic or drastic, uh-huh. but she's like, are you feeling okay? And then he like keeps describing like, what are, what if we're wasting our lives? Like, you know, he gets these lofty ideas and she's like, I know what your problem is. You just haven't had enough ketchup. And then it's like <laughs> they go into the tagline or, you know, like the voiceover about like ketchup's soothing qualities. Yes. Yeah. And yep. if you get too ambitious, just have a little ketchup. Right. Just take it down a notch. Calm down. <gasps> yeah. Ketchup. Yeah. I actually, I, um, I really loved that show and I had seen Garrison Keeler. Uh, I'd seen a couple of recordings of it live, and then I also saw him speak a couple of times. It was very disappointing. Um, oh, you know, but I was like, whatever. I mean, I like fuck that guy. He's an asshole. It turns out, right? Yeah. Like that's yeah, that's well, the end of it. <laughs> I knew it some people who had to work with him. Yeah, and many years ago, long before the controversy, uh-huh. uh huh. Like they had told me about their experiences with him, and it was all negative and. Yeah. In very specific targeted ways. <laughs> yeah. I, like, he was real specific about why he didn't like people. Right. I think, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't really know, know him that well other than my like very like glossed over media exposure, um, early on when I was listening to Prairie Home Companion a lot. But, um, so I don't want to like bury that. That's a shitty thing and it's important. Um, well, we don't have to bury it, but we've no, said no. it. Yeah, we've said it. Exactly. So, so anyway, we need our own ketchup. Yeah, we need our own ketchup. Um, right. Yeah. So um, yeah. So some kind of soporific or some kind of like um, right. some kind of suppressant for the masses. Right. Um, number seven on our list was a total lack of bodily autonomy. <laughs> yes. Right. So. <laughs> Um, These are so horrible when I read them back. They They're are so true, terrible. Though. Yeah, it's they like, are true. Yeah. Half this shit is happening right now. Most of this is all, all of this is happening in America right now. Yeah. Um, information control propaganda is super important. Yep. Yep. Um, a wide scale general environment that is dehumanizing. Right. Yes. Dehumanization is critical. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, 
Let's see, my list jumps. Where's number 10? Uh, we have to have some kind of a religion or cult-like approach that requires devotion. Yes. Yep. Right. And that can be in place of or in addition to, like, the state-sponsored... Fascism. Right. Fascism. Right. Um, so, uh, number 11 is either isolation or a complete lack of isolation. Right, right. Either or is terrible. Yeah, some kind of extreme but enforced um, state like that. Right. And then uh, number 13. <laughs> so number 12 is uh, more of a question. Are people in the dystopia aware that they are in the dystopia? Oh, yeah. So that's definitely... Um, I, there was a good YouTube video I, I skimmed through last night, and I don't remember the really salient points, but um, it, the, the person who was who created put the video together, that, that they had kind of were asking that question as well. It, is it possible to be aware that you are in a dystopia? Um, oh, I totally think it's possible to be aware. I, I think so too. Um, and I, I think that was, you know, he didn't, he didn't phrase it in the sense of like, well, here's a definitive answer. He just said, you know, here's some, here's some facets of why that I is think a it good goes question like to ask. I think it's possible that people are not aware that they're in a dystopia, but yes. it's not impossible that people, I would think it would be much more difficult to convince people they were not in a dystopia. Yes. Like, so it seems to me like the default would be like, People are probably aware of it, but for whatever reasons, through propaganda or otherwise, have been persuaded to believe that it's not that bad and so worth putting up with. Otherwise, they'd be in like full scale revolt, right? Right. You would, right. You would assume. Yeah. I mean, a big part of it is like maintaining the status quo, right? Like you're just trying mm -hmm. to kind of keep everyone, um, keep everyone from like questioning whether things could be better. Um, so we need, it's occur, it occurs to me, okay, yeah. so the question of whether people are aware or not, I suppose, depends on the particular dystopia. Yeah. Um, number 13 on the list was disappointment. <laughs> disappointment, right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Just crushing disappointment at all times. Yeah. Um, so here's what I thought just now as we were reading through this list. The one thing that I think we're missing that kind of ties into number eight, which is information control. Yeah. Um, or propaganda is like the suppression of free speech. Yes. Yeah. Censorship. So propaganda censorship. and censorship. Yeah. Propaganda Do they belong and censorship. In the same item? I would believe that um, both of those things belong in the same item, which ultimately lead to thought control. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, Sorry. Which is the end goal of that, right? The end goal of that is that your thoughts are not your own. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking about um, in terms of in terms of disappointment. I think that's that gets into a very like sort of Buddhist philosophy, mm -hmm. um, which I'm not super familiar with, but I believe this would be a kind of interpretation, which is that. Um, that a Buddhist could argue that you could be living in a, you know, externally sort of perceived dystopia and not actually be, you know, as long as you're doing the best to alleviate your, both your, the personal suffering and the suffering of those around you, i.e. be like not being disappointed by, you know, maintaining their state of your mind in such a way that you're not experiencing, like disappointment comes from expectation, right? Right. 
unmet um, expectation unmet expectation and so which and an expectation is in one way shape or form uh described as desire i think because i studied i didn't study buddhism to be specific like i studied i read confucius when mm-hmm. i studied ethics and i also obviously the Tao Te Ching, which we've read but yeah um, and and i'm not i'm not making claims to even be partially an expert i just i the little exposure I've had, I believe that there, yeah. there would be a line of thinking that would be basically around the idea of, um, as an individual, you're, it's your responsibility or your greatest sort of way to nirvana or a way to peace is to find peace within yourself with whatever you have available. And so yeah, it, like it's that. irrelevant. I mean, it's not irrelevant, but um, if you exist in this sort of dystopian nightmare, um, your way to alleviate suffering is to... Um, let go of your sort of ego and your idea of having expectations about things being improved or better or different um, yeah. and being accepting of what you have available. Anyway, that's, that's not really the purpose of this discussion. Um, <laughs> you know, you are going in the wrong direction. Yeah, friend. <laughs> right. The right direction obviously is to, uh, is to create the most superlative, um, version of a dystopia we can. And, um, with that in mind, so we've kind of covered some like some key ingredients that we've identified. We might pick up a few more. Um, we may kind of consolidate them. So with this one, I thought we would just sort of discuss movies and some of the themes and ideas that we can kind of draw from movies we've already seen. Um, and again, not not exhaustive. I think both you and I can agree that one of the greatest movies ever made would be Brazil. Hell yes. Um so this 1985 film uh, directed by Terry Gilliam and written by uh, Terry Gilliam and Charles Do you McCowan. know he's from here? I did not know that. <laughs> I didn't either. That's amazing. Um, and when you say from here, you mean Minneapolis? I <laughs> Let me make sure what town it was, but I am like 100% positive I just read this the other day and I was shocked oh, by it. No, yeah, he yes, so he was born according to Wikipedia, he was born in 1940 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He so he is British. Funny. Like that's his his citizen, his nationality. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. Or no, I guess he can he naturalized to American in 1940. Um but he was, you know, he was born a British citizen. Oh no. I'm confused. Oh, he had dual citizenship at some point. Anyway, um irrelevant other than really interesting. Uh Brazil, one of the great movies um and if you're not familiar if you have not seen this movie, um I don't think we'll give any major spoilers because we don't need to discuss endings or really major plot points other than just the setting. Um this movie is fantastic. It's in many of like Terry Gilliam's films, there's this, he has a strong um, theme of hyper bureaucratic dystopia. Um, it's, uh, it's what <laughs> I think it's what my buddy Dan would refer to as Kafka ask. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah. Um, I mean, Kafka is also something we should probably discuss at some point, but um, we'll get, we'll get there. We'll stick to this. So he, um, he wrote and directed this film uh, with some, he also wrote it with the help of two others. As I said, Charles McCowan and Tom Stoppard. Uh, anyway, the film is fantastic. It's the, the main sort of plot points are that there, you kind of, it follows the, the story, the life of this um, character, Sam Lowry, who's like a low level government employee. Um, and he kind of has these like, 
these daydreams of himself being this like this amazing <laughs> warrior with wings who saves this damsel in distress and um right. and that leads to a lot of a lot of things that kind of happen in the film but the setting is this sort of like as far as I can tell, it's just this never ending apartment block merged with like towering. Um, <laughs> yeah, like that's such a good way to describe it. Yeah, it's just the entire setting is just this never ending like apartment block towers mm-hmm. of, of um, office blocks and office buildings. And there's not really skylines of any kind. It's just sort of this like this sort of maze of um, rooms and corridors and expanses and walkways. And um, yeah, you never see sky. It's just more buildings up there. Yeah. And you, and everything is this bureaucratic nightmare. Like there's this scene where um, early on where Sam is, the main character is attempting to, or I think his like his HVAC unit is not working or something. Yes. And he's trying to navigate. I don't remember if it's a phone system or something. He's trying to navigate some system of bureaucracy in order to get approval to hire someone to come fix it or something like that. And in the end, um, I don't even know if I want to like there, I don't think I'm giving a lot away this old enough film. Um, Robert De Niro plays this rogue AC fix it man who arrives on a zip line through the balcony (laughs) window fixes the ac and and then makes a daring escape before the guard like whatever in bureaucratic enforcement agency Mm -hmm. is there trying to capture him um and so that kind of just sets the tone for the whole dystopia of this sort of um and and it's also full of these like these middle managers who are exerting their power over the people below them and in fear of the power of the people above them. And, um, and this just kind of like disgusting power scheme pyramid situation where they're, they're basically like shit rolls downhill and they're all shitty to each person down below them. And, and that's exactly how I was going to describe it. Yeah. So, um, the color palette is wonderful. It's this sort of like, like, this sort of like like blues and grays and browns and like very like it's like gritty and dark punctuated by these like bright moments yeah and it reminds me of um like you know how in america prisons and schools are built by the same contractors yes yeah it kind like you can't tell it, you get kind of the impression you get in a school where you're like, why does it feel so terrible to be in here? And it's because like all of the walls are painted with industrial paint colors that are just like mismatched colors. Yes. Like weird yeah. olive gray. And you're like, that's just every paint color mixed together. Yep. Yeah. Um, just like these terrible colors. And it's just like drains the ener- the life force out of you to sit in there under fluorescent lights. Yeah, it's just yeah. So I'm like having flashbacks to elementary school. I hated every year of school I've ever had to put in, except for the years that I paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> As an adult. Right, right. <laughs> Otherwise it was hell. Like people talk about I don't know who had a good time in school. Like school for me was an utter dystopia. Uh, like, the same. I hated it. I couldn't stand yeah, it. You had a it you had a much worse experience than I did even, and I was like having basically having just daily panic meltdowns Mm -hmm. inside all the time about having to spend any time in those places with those people. Yes. Yeah. I mean, my, my school, like my, my public school career or even private school, basically my, my 
you know, K through 12 experience was one of um, avoiding school at all costs and finding any way to, I mean, who ditches school in second grade? I do. Yeah, that's like, that's like on the regular, like one, like twice a week if I could or more, you know, just whenever I could leave. If they weren't, Mm -hmm. if they didn't have an eye on me, I was walking off the campus, leave sneaking out at, at recess, whatever I could do to get away. Yeah. Um, it was just jailbreak all the time. I was like, why, why am I in jail? This doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it feels like prison. It's awful. <laughs> like it when I was horrible. old enough and then realized like I could appreciate the amount of time I still had to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I must have been like second or third grade when I when it dawned on me when I could understand that. So I up to that point, I was living like, you know, I just have to make it through the school year until summer, like counting right. down the days and the minutes and the seconds. And then yes. when it hit me that I would have to be in school until I was 18 and you're like, you know, you're like eight or nine. And so that's half your life. That's mm-hmm. longer than you've been self-aware. Right. Is to continue doing this. It was just depressing and heartbreaking. And um, it feels interminable. Yeah. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to live through that. And and thankfully, I um found out that you could not go to school anymore. By the time you're 16, you could just kind of stop going. And I did. I kind of wish at some point I had just fucking taken the GED when I turned 16 and then Yeah, I was so like, mad cuz I was on to post sec after that. Yeah. I had I had basically dropped out when I was 16. I mean, technically I was still enrolled and I was going to band. Um by the time I was 17, I had stopped altogether and that yeah. was when I found out that I could take the GED and then I found out that I could have taken it a year earlier. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, I was in my senior year of school. I was in community college, like having a way better time. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, oh my God, I would do so many things differently. Yeah. And like, I just, at this point, (laughs) the number of people who I would take advice from at this point is like maybe three. Right. You're 33% of that list. Oh, I, I I guess I, I guess that's a, um, a compliment. I'll take it. Thank you. Right. Yeah. So uh, I mean, I feel the I, same way about you. Like, I yeah, there's very few people <laughs> I would be like. Well, as we were discussing with our executive assistant, generally right. all of us agree that advice is like, I don't fucking know. Nobody knows what the fuck Nobody they're doing. Knows. Let's talk about it. As yeah. opposed to like, well, you know what you should do. Uh huh. You know what you should do is yeah. Um. Yeah. So school was fucking terrible, and for both of us. And yeah. I wish I could do it differently. Yeah. And not take anybody's advice about how to get it done. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I like I love dystopian movies that are about bureaucratic messes because they're the reason that they're so funny to me is that they're true and it's not happening to me. Like yes. My criteria for funny is like, is it true and is it not happening to you? Then it's probably funny <laughs> right, to you. Right. Yeah. Um, and also sometimes if you live through it, it can be a little funny in the, like it, in the right context. Like I, I struggle with laughing at things in the past if I feel like it gives them some, like it, it somehow validates them as an okay thing. Like it right. was never okay. Um, but yeah, I do, I do agree with you. Like, and, and so Terry Gilliam's vision of hyper bureaucracy is just fantastic. And it yeah. touches the way that he expresses it, um, really touches on, uh, on the truth of it, right? Where it's just sort of like, 
you know, it's like going to the DMV where you're like, oh, you show up thinking you're totally ready and you have your form filled out. And they're like, this form is for an entirely different thing. And, and there was no way for you to tell. Yeah. And they just, you know, and the person who's processing it, they have little power to change anything. They're like, this is what you have to do now. Go stand. I mean, I was at the DMV the other day and I stood in a line for two and a half hours and order and found out that I then needed to stand in a different line when I got to the end of it. <laughs> And it I wasn't didn't like realize you had to go on the line ride twice. Yeah, well, it was like in the worst part was like there was no way like I had gone up to the head to be like, "Hey, I want to do this." They're like, "The line's back there." So I go back and yeah. when I get to the head, they're like, "Oh, the line for you is this other special one that you couldn't even get in until you got in this line first. <laughs> um, so it wasn't like necessarily a waste of my time per se. Like that was the procedure. But it was just ridiculous because that was the bureaucratic procedure of like, I'm in this line until I get to this point where then I get in another line and wait for my turn mm -hmm. to find out what to do next. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I mean, it was I was fine. It was, you know, it was a nice day, but um, and it was outside. So that was fine. But God, anyway, uh, bureaucracy, dystopia. So I would say I think that um, at some point we're going to kind of veer away from or we may, we may need to discuss the kinds of dystopia that could exist. Um, okay. Because I think that um, a very bureaucratic dystopia can have a lot of the other elements that were in place that we're, we've talked about, but um, it doesn't necessarily have to. Like the whole dystopia ex experience can stem entirely from the um, the hyper bureaucratic weight of it all. So I feel like this is one of those things where we could make a generator out of it. Yes. Where you could just list a bunch of words associated with sort of dystopias and then churn, churn up like churn unique, them out. Yeah. Like, yeah, like bureaucratic would be the first word in a string of eight words to describe yes. it kind of like German, like the German language, like just individual words that are all just strung together into a big yes. thing with like, <laughs> yes, right. with like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, to convey like, you know, in, in the English equivalent is like red balls to the nuts is an entirely new word that now conveys the feeling you get when someone gets a red ball thrown at their crotch. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, why don't you make a note of that? Because we could um, yep. revisit that and do the we can do the dystopian uh, random random dystopian generator. I like that idea. Um, yeah. So. So this film, uh, Brazil, we don't need to talk about the plot so much as the setting. Um, and we've kind of covered that. And I think um, the experience, so the individual experience that it suggests to me is one of being lost in a, um, in a like a metropolitan maze of bureaucracy. Mm-hmm and and how that like so that one aspect then then seems to convey a lot of these other features that we were talking about like it it provides yeah. a certain level of dehumanization it removes a lot of the like personal autonomy mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. it it does provide a certain level of uh propaganda and thought control i think um I don't remember him. I don't remember the movie touching on that too much directly, but it certainly is conveyed by the sort of surroundings and the set design and the the overall um, his overall interaction with other people. Um, yeah, 
the main character and the way he interacts with other people suggests that they're all kind of living in the same world and sharing the same kind of suffering. Um, uh, <laughs> like diminishing resources doesn't seem to be a particular issue or like conflict over resources um, directly. I don't think... Um, like a lot of his, a lot of the plot seems to be him kind of chasing this woman of his daydreams. Yeah. With the kind of, yeah, I think, I, I think I'm remembering this correctly where he's, the viewer's perception is that she's lost in the maze sort of, right? The, the, yeah. Like, like he has to rescue her basically. Yeah. Kind of. Yep. Sort of. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, oh, like I think she's being pursued for some other like infraction, bureaucratic infraction or something. And he's trying to like rescue her from that or something. But I, yeah. it, it's irrelevant. I mean, the setting is the important thing. And I think, um, the key components there of like painting that picture of this dystopia. Um, I really like how, um, despite how the bureaucrats try to control every little thing, it is like an utterly chaotic film. Yes, yes. Everything is in constant chaos and flux. Just it's just amazing. Yeah. Because there's so much entropy. There's like so many things that could go wrong. Right. Yeah. It's nuts. Just it's so they have overcomplicated life to the point where it is entirely unpredictable because of the number of hurdles that pile up in front of you that prevent you from doing just the most basic things. Right. <laughs> Like, I just need to get my air conditioner fixed. Well, it's like, you know what it reminds me of is like, I need to get my heart looked at because yeah. I'm pretty sure it's beating weird. Well, you'd need a family practitioner first who is your primary care physician because without a primary care physician, you can't get a referral to a heart doctor. Right. Exactly. <laughs> this is why I'm like, <clears throat> uh, yeah, yeah. it's cheaper to fly to Mexico. <laughs> Right. I mean, the, the sort of the state of the state of access to healthcare in the U.S. is its yeah. own bureaucratic nightmare. Um, yeah. So another so we kind of really vamped on Brazil quite a lot, but there are many other films. Um, yeah. I actually was thinking about um, another Terry Gilliam film. So, I mean, we could just do Terry Gilliam all day long. Just all Terry all the time. Yeah. Terry time. We could do We could review Terry Gilliam movies over and over and over and over oh, and over yeah, again. Absolutely could. Yeah. And just cycle through them and just call it Terry time. Terry time segments. Oh, I love that. Um, I'm going to write this down. This is brilliant. Okay. Or maybe not. But, no, no. Uh, I think it's it great. Anyway. I think it's great. Terry if nothing time. else, it could be um, kind of like our tips for living well in hell. Um <laughs> <laughs> just kind of like tack it on to the end and like things discuss. I learned from Terry time. Yeah. Things I learned from Terry time. Um, I was going to say uh, 12 monkeys is a much more, probably more well v or more popular film of his. Um, and I imagine most people have seen that, but if you have not, it stars uh, Bruce Willis, um, Brad Pitt, Madeline Stowe, David, David Morse, um, it's, uh, so it's directed by Terry Gilliam and I'm trying to see who wrote it. Uh, I don't see. Okay, here we go. Screenplay, <laughs> screenplay by David Peoples and Janet Peoples. Hmm. Um, uh, so this is another film that has, so although he didn't. Now, do yeah. you think David and Janet are a couple or are they siblings? I don't know. Um, 
cousins. They they are married likely. according to Wikipedia. Um, okay, great. Thank you for David, solving that mystery. David is eighty as of today. Uh, Happy, not that his, today, not his birthday, but I mean, as oh. of, like February February ninth <laughs> is his birthday. Sorry. Um, I was like, what the? <laughs> oh, and so he wrote. Uh, he wrote Blade Runner, um, Twelve Monkeys, Unforgiven. Uh, I didn't realize that. Anyway, fantastic. Um, also, Blade Runner, another movie we could we could bring up. Um, so, the Twelve Monkeys features less of the insane bureaucracy. Although, um, I would say that the start of Twelve Monkeys is probably the strongest sort of Terry Gilliam um, influence because you're you're observing Bruce Willis is a um, a prisoner who's right. being sent back in time by these this like cohort of scientists, these sort of, and they kind of their, their examination of him and the set design and all of that is very strongly like Terry Gilliam influenced the way that the, the way that things are filmed. Um, he loves, he loves to use giant like Fresnel lenses in front of people so yeah. that like some portion of their face is like intensely comically. Projected huge. Yeah. Projected huge. Um, and so, he really like it's fantastic direction i think um yeah. so uh that dystopian world is the 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 dystopia theoretically is the portion in the future where um there's kind of a i, I think it's a it's a plague it's a plague right so the world That's is a deliberately plague. released yeah yeah and uh, so by it's like a nefarious actor or actors yes right um bioterrorists and they are somebody at some point what they deduce in the future looking backwards and examining what happened uh they determine that <clears throat> somebody boarded an aircraft with a series of tickets from major cities in succession and in each of those places released a vial of the pathogen and infected everybody. And so they sent Bruce Willis back as like the grunt to do the dirty work of infiltrating and discovering who did this. And then they were going to come back in time and head it off at the pass. Right. Right. Um, yeah. The idea. Yeah. So he, I think he was one of several people that they'd sent back because in the movie you yeah. you discover that he runs into other people who'd either evaded being pulled back into the future or um, right. otherwise like <clears throat> kind of escaped into the past. Um, yeah. And then they're like pulling their teeth out because they think there's tracking in their teeth. And yeah. that, that might or might not be true. They don't really clarify that. Right. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the dystopian portion of that, we don't know as much about because it's in the future and we really only know about the sort of science prison complex. Right. Um, and so we don't know much about the structure of it other than um, I think this this idea of a dystopia would fall into the kind of natural, not necessarily natural disaster, but a global disaster fallout. Right. So, yeah, it also seems like the time frame that the movie is set in precedes a rise in bureaucracy because the future people who are in charge have already been in charge for a little while and they're leading the charge to. Yes. figure out and solve the problem retroactively by traveling through time right which is uh, i'm not even gonna think about it it doesn't matter yeah, it's fine. Sure. we're not gonna go down that path right now right. so um uh i find it of like all of the dystopia like it's a much more relatable dystopia than the sort of exaggerated one from brazil yes because it doesn't have these sort of 
outsized fantastical elements it's it's infinitely relatable yeah <laughs> there's a, there a pandemic right um, right and and also that it was bi- a biological weapon and so there's like uh, oh and there's eco terrorists you know like Brad Pitt's wacky character is involved with some eco terrorists and is like a potential suspect in the yeah because of the, the name of the um or, or the namesake of the movie Twelve Monkeys he's part of that Twelve Monkeys eco terrorism group right which and they like, had suspected yeah. was the yeah um so yeah God that movie's so great I love at the very end too oh and it, that movie is based on a short film called Le Jeté which is French oh I didn't know that. Yes, um, which I think just means the outing. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe. I that sounds. Yeah, I don't know about wrong. the um the meaning of it, but I do see. It's a short film in black and white. Yeah. Um, and it uh, if I'm not mistaken, it just features essentially the last sort of um scenes in the movie where that take place in an airport. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, it's called Le Jeté Sans Soleil. It's like it's like the uh, I don't know what Jeté translates exactly in French, but it's like the it's like the outing without sunlight or the uh, something like that. Uh huh. Anyway, a long time since I spoke French. Um, Sorry, I love job. that movie. I I thought Brad Pitt was good in it. I that movie made me love Bruce Willis, whereas otherwise I could I'm ambivalent. Sure. Sure. Um, I mean, he was good in Pulp Fiction too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely agree. It, it, it. I do. I really enjoy when he plays roles that are not the sort of classic typecast that he often is sucked into. Um, uh, Pulp Fiction's kind of dystopia. Yeah, I mean, Pulp Fiction definitely. Yeah, I didn't think about that. It is. Um, I mean, I think a lot of there's an argument to be made for movies that um, that take place in say, um like like in an underground way it's like oh we're gonna look at this aspect of this culture like say like some kind of crime syndicate or some kind of um crime-ridden neighborhood or other you know the way hollywood kind of whitewashes stuff and it's like oftentimes it'll be like a black neighborhood where there's lots of crime and poor people and all of the things that they like to portray but um but one could argue that that's actually like looking at um these are bubbles of of a dystopia right because there that's you know you have i mean this compares to real life right like you have a, mm-hmm. an oppressed people you have dehumanization you have um uh you have definitely propaganda and thought control attempts um yep. both inside and out right like it's it's painted as this negative thing um mm-hmm. where you know those people are bad and all you know so you get all of that um so it touches on a lot of the aspects um and I think a lot of movies could be argued that there's a certain aspect of dystopia when you're talking about a movie that like kind of, you know, has a backdrop of violence. Um, yeah, that's it's like a lot of the conflicts that give the plot line interest are dystopian. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. OK, so if you were in the movie Pulp Fiction. Yes. Which scene would you be in? Oh, God. Um I, I want to say that I'd be in Jackrabbit Slims, but I know it would just be at the drug dealer's house. Right. Um, <laughs> Where's that black medical book? My fucking black medical book. Right. <laughs> I, I feel like... Uh, um, I feel like I would be somehow ancillary to um, 
when they take the when they take um when they take what's her name to what's his name's house um i'm forgetting the name lance yeah and like lance is eric stoltz and patricia arquette is his wife whose name i don't remember he's like he's like prank call prank call yeah prank call (laughs) don't bring her here prank call prank call yeah so like that would be i would i would be at that house doing something stupid like ancillary to all of that um, I know, right? I like not that. helping. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'd want to help, but I'd be like, I, "This is this is inopportune timing here that I'm here and this is happening right now, and I chose this day of all days to show up and do this thing." Um, yeah, so I I feel yeah. like that'd probably be me, but um, yeah, oh, oh, that movie so ridiculous. And uh, it's great though. Yeah, it's it is great. great. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Yeah. So. I think I th- um, it occurs to me like, you know, as we kind of like travel across the, like the, the vast spectrum of like what is dystopia and what is not dystopia um, that we are, that at some point, you know, it's, it's obviously a spectrum of gray. Right. And so yeah. we're not trying to draw like a hard line <laughs> in the sand here, but um, yeah, but I do think that, uh, that one could argue that you could have a mindset of dystopia and be, you know, that's kind of goes back to that sort of like, it's all up to you how you perceive it. Um, you know, you could like, like you and I might think of like, you know, living in the suburbs is just a dystopian nightmare from the get go. Um, Nailed it. <laughs> so, uh, um, but, but for other people, that's an ideal, you know, an ideal situation. And I, I don't, I don't Just not like, understand that, right? Like I, miles of roads, yeah, that lead nowhere yes. to nothing, right? With no sidewalks named after the animals that used to live in the place before you like clear cut it and paved it over, right? Right. <laughs> right. That's what I think of the suburbs. Like uh, if I had to describe it to a person who came from another planet, I'd be like, "Well, uh-huh. uh the point of these is to get you lost inside of them, right?" and force you to own a car because you can't get out without one oh god i know i know Uh, where are you gonna go (laughs) there's nowhere to walk to um except more houses that don't belong to you right uh i feel like um no dystopian film discussion would not be or would be any any film discussion that covers dystopia would be incomplete without at least mentioning idiocracy Right, which um, is oh so funny. Yeah, and uh, so this is a Mike Judge film. If you haven't seen it, um, absolutely. I like recommended. how hopeful that movie is because in the future, the guy who fixes everything is one of the least intelligent people in the beginning of the movie for that yes. time period. But in the yes. future, he's a genius. So no matter how bad it gets, as long as someone can figure out water, not Brondo. Uh huh. it's called brondo Brondo, yeah brondo yeah that's what plants crave yeah um it's got electrolytes it's got electrolytes this this one is great um this film is uh this dystopian film is really it's much more about um it seems to explore the idea that if our our sort of biological and sort of historical like intelligence levels are on the decline um 
what what life would be like as we reach some crest that we now are headed downwards in a downward spiral of being less and less intelligent about um or just less and less intelligent and losing losing our ability to maintain the lifestyle that is around us to the point where um in the movie the way they paint these pictures is just fantastic it's like like infrastructure is just collapsing around you and um marketing has reached this like hyperbolic level of intensity where everything is branded intensely by these like mega corporation brands and um right and so you're everybody's living... clothing is printed with like just it's tiled with logos yeah so not like not yeah. like the nike swoop no it's, like it's just like nike a million swoops. nike yeah just like everything everything everybody's wearing is just this like high bright visible like logo intense thing um, polyester polyester yeah everything it's like their clothes are shiny and tight <laughs> yeah it's this like intensely consumeristic culture where um like everything is disposable um the level of intellectual content on media consumption is just like like the few scenes where you're watching the guy like everybody watches one show which is like ow my balls which is basically people getting kicked in the balls and um and so and it's just surrounded by advertising like you're not even watching the show you're just watching like 50 percent of the screen is taken up by ads the whole time right Right. like it's just this um this just nightmare I, uh, of of like of what you would argue is like the the sort of logical conclusion of our current trajectory in in U.S. capitalism, right? Right. Um, yeah, and I love how um, the problems of the future are solved with novel contraptions. Like the biggest problem this one guy, this character played by Dax Shepard, has is that he loves television. But he also has to poop. And so he has a recliner chair with a toilet built in. Yes. So he never has to leave the television. Right. Right. So good. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So this movie is starring Luke Wilson, Maya Rudolph, Dax Shepard. Uh, oh, and everybody has a tattoo. Yes. To identify them. Right. Everybody. Yeah. So everybody has a, um identification tattoo. Um, there's, uh, let's see. Um, the country is is governed by a pro wrestler who is played by um uh Terry Terry Cruz. Yep, he does an excellent job of that role. President Camacho. Yes. Um <laughs> it's like it, it, it they settle it. disputes with like monster truck fights to the Yes. Death. Yeah. And, like the trucks are basically like large phallic objects like a giant drill like a like a subterranean drill looking thing Uh i mean it's cartoonish that's not obviously what they actually look like no but yeah boring machine but right um yeah and like it's just what there's a little car with a giant floppy purple dildo right (laughs) on the hood or whatever like like kind of the size of one of those dancing used car lot Uh inflatable thingies but it's just a solid purple rubber like on the hood of a yugo or something right right (laughs) it's just like (laughs) so gross um i mean not like actually gross it's like the concept of it is gross yeah yeah um yeah and there's so god this is such a such a horrible horrible prediction of our like i was just thinking about so the administration when you kind of meet president camacho and it's like he's staffed his cabinet with um 
like all his relatives and friends or something and they're all yeah, it's, idiots it's total nepotism yeah it's like full-on nepotism and i you know i mean thankfully we don't have any parallel with that today um right <laughs> what, you, what, I, what what um and so and it's just and and the whole thing revolves around this like major crisis which is that there's no more food because the plants won't grow because the bondo company or brando the um yeah brando the like sports drink company has brando, co- I think. brando yeah brando yeah. has contracted with the government and has like a has like a monopoly on watering the plants with brando yeah then, and like, so you can't get fresh water you can't anymore. get fresh water you anymore only drink brando yeah and so <clears throat> the brando um the brand, like so all the plants are being watered with brando and of course they aren't they aren't growing and otherwise the crops are kind of on this automated system and so um you know it's like people aren't even working the fields like nobody even understands what's going on it's just brando one nobody day understands thing. anything about plant yeah. biology or like the growth cycle from a seed to an edible plant or like anything yeah it's so nuts um and so that's kind of like the main thing is like it's just basically like a reliving of the dust bowls um yeah and which is its own kind of like real life dystopia um mm-hmm. which is probably something we should kind of talk about at some point um Topsoil in the Great Plains used to be six feet thick. Yeah. And now it's like inches because we're making it as we need it because we got rid of all of it by accident because we were stupid. <laughs> right. Good job. Okay, boomers. Right. Um, so, yeah, we should definitely um, have some discussion around that as a, as a yeah, I mean, like real life, real life dystopian existences. Um yeah, so idiocracy, I like I feel like this could be a whole other podcast. I don't think we've even really plumbed the depths of both the parallel like the parallelism with our current status or it the US state um of of existence. Oh, God. <laughs> it's so so ridiculous. Um but let's keep talking about some more movies. Uh there's so let's see um visioneers visioneers oh yes one of my favorites i was gonna say visioneers is very um like i imagine visioneers taking place in the same uh universe as brazil like concurrently um visioneers is this amazing movie that um it tell me about visioneers if you don't so it's a zach galifianakis movie yep um it was directed by jared drake written by brandon drake so they're probably brothers or something right um and zach galifianakis and judy greer are the main characters um it's so it's it's set essentially like concurrently it's not super far into the future right right yeah like it's sort of universe is basically like current times yeah modern modern times right um, and so the Jeffers Corporation yes. um, is this enormous behemoth. Um, it's the most profitable business to ever exist. Um, it's the largest business that ever existed. And it's basically like it, it's so ubiquitous that it's eradicating any kind of independent thought or like expression of humanity um, uh, because it the corporation essentially is like, well, working for us is what happiness is and being productive when you're working for us is what happiness is. And so 
that's what you do. You work for us and you'd be happy working for us. Right. So we've got mine. We've got uh, propaganda um, yep. going well for it. We've got dehumanization. Um, yeah. It's got strong themes of dehumanization. Um, yes. There's definitely. Like, yeah. The corporation essentially is like um, the the more productive you are, the better a person you are. Like just be productive. Produ- production, production, production. Right. Right. <clears throat> yeah. It's. It's a fantastic movie. Um, it's definitely worth a watch. I think. Um, I love uh, so Zach Galifianakis. Any anything that he's in, he comes up with these incredible names for the characters. Uh huh. This one is George Washington Winster Hammerman. Oh yes, right. It's the, that's such a good character name. <laughs> and he's a descendant of George Washington. Uh huh. And he's a level three. Tunt employee at the Jeffers Corporation. <laughs> yes. Tunt spelled T as in Tom, U N as in Nancy, T as in T. Right. Tunt, <laughs> T as in Tom. Um, yeah. So he like he, he's eating too much and he can't have sex because he's so re- alienated from everybody. Right, right. <clears throat> um, and he like has these sort of visions in his dreams he has dreams they're not really nightmares i guess but where he's like the president of the united states and he's on the verge of losing the american revolutionary war right and is like trying to is considering surrendering to the british um and he's told by people at the jeffers corporation like the authorities in the movie that well having these kinds of thoughts are um these are symptoms of extreme stress and when you're under extreme stress this leads to like spontaneous explosion and yes, so right. people are just like exploding like you stick like if somebody swallowed a stick of dynamite in a cartoon just like everything's fine and then all of a sudden the person next to you explodes um so uh there's like people are wearing these like collars around their necks yeah um and uh, even though they're wearing them, they're still exploding anyway. Like everybody's super unhappy, and there's all kinds of brainwashing. And um, I, I, I think one explain. of my favorite, like, sort of early aspects of the film that you see, like, right away in the first thing. So the company logo or the business logo is essentially oh, a middle right? finger, yeah. and so the standard greeting in society is giving everyone the middle finger. And so, and <laughs> like the way that Zach Galifianakis like he's this perfect for this role because he just the way that he comes in to the office and gives everyone the finger in a way that's like he's like almost he's like oh I forgot to wave to you here's your bird here's your bird okay I'm sitting down like it's just so perfect he plays this like sort of um this like beset sort of yeah like haggard like office working employee who's like about to lose it but just like trying to keep to himself and like it's just so great um yeah so yeah definitely they're at the my my, the thing that made me love the movie right off the bat was Uh when he sits down to work it's in this room where there's a bunch of people with basically like government industrial desks from the 1950s like that strange olive drab green yeah and like very heavy duty large pieces of furniture and there's an intercom that echoes throughout the entire building (laughs) and it's like it starts with a beep and ends with a beep and so it's like Beep. Uh, hello, employees of the Jeffers Corporation. It is 4.12 p.m. on Thursday. That means there are 48 minutes in the working day. Beep. And it goes off Beep. every minute. <laughs> every minute. 
it's such an amazing touch. It's so hilarious. And the way they play it off is so great because it's like you're living this in the real time. Like as you're watching the actors like play out (laughs) and the the beep go on and come off. Like it's just so fucking great. Um, yeah. Oh God. So good. Just constant like nagging interruptions Yep. and things that are grating. Like if it, if it happens again, I think I might scream. And then it happens. You're like, I'm definitely going to scream next time. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, those are like, those are the, those are the ones that I can think of off the top of my head that are like really, really good that I would absolutely recommend everyone yes. watch. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I'm going to like, because we're kind of running towards the end of the hour. Um, I'm going to go through and um, kind of mention some others that are yes. like, we don't have to get too into them. Um, no, totally. So like Wally is um, a kind of... <gasps> good one! Is a good example of a kind of like mega corporation induced... Uh, dystopia um there's uh let's see so um the terminator classic kind of action horror film i don't know if that's a horror film or whatever like where that falls these days but yeah um you know the terminator obviously the terminator series like that all revolves around this sort of um you know robo robot or robot over you know war based kind of dystopian existence um there's let's see so um there's there's a movie i really liked called strange days which was a 1995 (gasps) movie Um, i love that movie yeah so that That is very dystopian that's like a techno dystopia yeah it's definitely a techno dystopia um it's kind of a science fiction film noir kind of convention um it has some really strong themes around racism, abuse of power, rape, voyeurism, all of these issues. Um, and it's uh, definitely like a worth a watch if you're like just kind of listening to this and being like, I want to watch some dystopian movies. If you have not seen um, Strange Days, definitely worth a watch. Uh, that's a James Cameron screenplay movie. And it was produced and directed or it was produced by James Cameron and directed by Catherine Bigelow. Um, it, which is funny because the two of them ended up getting divorced in the year that he <clears throat> made Titanic and was up for Academy Awards. She made the Hurt Locker and she pushed him out of Best Picture. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, let's see. Oh, if you have not seen They Live, that is a uh, like a definitely a classic John Carpenter film. Um, they Live is... Uh, I, I don't know if it ever reached like like peak meme, but um, there's definitely I've seen some memes that reference they live. Um, That's a good one. It is a very good one. It, it kind of I'll just touch on it. Basically, um, it's so it's written and directed by John Carpenter. So, you know, it, you kind of hopefully know what you're in for if you are at all familiar with his work. Um, and it's got uh, so it's starring like Roddy Piper. Um, yes. Keith David, Meg Foster. Um and so it just kind of it, it it basically revolves around um Roddy Piper this like sort of drifter character uh discovering that um there's this ruling class of aliens and that they're kind of hiding um this like sort of mind control propaganda in all of the media and all of the things that kind of fall out from that. And there's, there's, you know, it's, it's an eighties film. It, it's got some, you know, it's a little rough around the edges, but um, definitely a good film worth watching. I would say 
uh let's see we've got um uh so <clears throat> i mean the matrix the matrix absolutely like a very strong dystopian world um you know and we like i don't think we have to touch too much on that other than you know if you if you haven't seen it basic principle like the basic core principles is sort of that um humans are uh like basically living in a virtual jail um and their minds are trapped inside this virtual experience and their physical existence is being exploited for um use by robots basically um so they're like yeah. entirely dehumanized entirely like loss of bodily autonomy etc cetera, etc cetera. um yeah very strong strong one there um yeah. let's see uh let's see um You know, there's a ton of movies that have um, attempted to like, you know, films, conversions of Philip K. Dick novels. So I won't really go into those too much, but A Scanner Darkly would probably be one that people have. That's um, a good one. Yeah. That are maybe a little familiar with. Um, the Running Man, another 80s, 87 film with, um, uh, you know, adapted from a Stephen King novel um, that stars um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and um so you know the acting is top notch um <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't know the man i think the man knows what he is at this point um yeah. so you know uh but i i mean he's an action star and it is an action film but it is um shot in the 80s and it it revolves around a sort of game like a you know a publicized um game to the death right so um right you know that's a that's a big one um let's see robocop uh i mean now we're kind of digging into art like again another 87 movie um uh let's see so repo men uh oh my god the one with emilio estevez in it yeah yeah oh, that uh, is re such repo a great man movie. yeah that is such a great movie um i like I don't. I don't think that this. Uh, sorry, Repo Man. There was a Repo Men movie um, made that I'm not familiar with. The Repo Man. Um, I think. I think it's a great movie. I think that it. It it hints at a dystopian backdrop, um, but it's like right on the edge. Yeah, and I would argue like maybe a lot of movies in the 80s that kind of explore punk culture are. Um, Punk culture, I think, kind of revolves around the idea of rebelling, like rejection of a dystopian enforcement, right? So mm -hmm. punk culture oftentimes, and, you know, maybe I'm misinterpreting it, but I think punk, you know, punk culture is like counterculture a little bit. And it is kind of a rejection of saying like, hey, what you think is the status quo is actually a dystopia for us. Um, yeah, it's two sides and both of them are accusing the other of being dystopian. Yeah. And so... Um, you know, and it's and obviously in the eighties, it was there was some attempt to commercialize it because it made for good films, right? Um, you know, yeah. people wearing leather and chains and and looking punk uh, and with mohawks mm. and stuff make for a very scary, exciting, stimulating like character. A, <laughs> yeah, I didn't see the actual movie, the live action movie, because nothing compares to the cartoon. But um, and this is a television show, so it doesn't really count within the larger context of this conversation, except that it was a movie. Yeah. Um, Aeon Flux was really great. Yes. Yeah. That was, and I, I mean, we don't, we're not, I mean, I know we have strict rules about sticking to the, um, topics, 
and we don't ever right. veer away super from Super regimented. Super regimented. No no tangents. No getting off topic. Um, right. Yeah, TV shows, but especially that one, I was going to say, that is an excellent one, especially the um, the TV show that was on um, on uh, MTV. Um, yeah. Was that on... Originally, that was on... Uh, Liquid Television. Liquid Television, yeah. Um, man, that was just so good so good it so really, different yeah yeah just really really different um just really really bizarre and um just the whole like ev- the setting um really explored like a lot of really interesting ideas um it's it's definitely if you have an opportunity to watch some of them the animation style is really really bizarre and interesting and, and kind of gross. Um, well, I don't know if gross there's, is Yeah, there's like it's a lot like, of body horror. Yeah, there's a lot of body horror um, in a very stylized way. It's not, um, I mean, obviously, like I wouldn't recommend maybe showing it to your very young children if they're not prepared for it. Um, but you know, you it's do, not you, do you. There's anything you're the like adult. terrible happening or no, like I mean, themed necessarily. It's just like yeah. really unsettling to look at the artwork yeah yeah i mean it features a lot of like i mean the opening credits is like her her capturing a um a fly in her eyelashes and like it's it's everything's like kind of hyper detailed in that way and it's um but the setting is um uh this sort of like futuristic sort of corporate dystopia i guess where yeah it's like a divided city and she sort of travels between the <clears throat> the inside and outside or <clears throat> the downside to having a fan blowing on you while you're doing this is that you get like impossible to speak um, oh sure <clears throat> yeah my sinuses are all dried up um the so yeah she travels she sort of like transgresses this line between the super controlled environment and the like outer rebellious environment yeah right so there's kind of that like internal city that's like sort of protected and like all the rich people live there and then there's kind of yeah, the, yeah. and like mr big time rich guy trevor uh, uh is, trevor like, Goodchild. Sort of, yeah yeah like her nemesis right but they have this weird relationship of kind of like it, it, they have that kind of classic like spy relationship where they they're both lovers. They're codependent. Yeah, they're kind of codependent. Um, yeah, so I definitely Aeon Flux is fantastic uh, for that dystopian kind of um, idea ideas. Like I don't, I, I I think as a setting visually you get a very strong vibe from it. I don't know that you get. Um, I think it's hard to fully like pin down like why. Um, you know, we're only getting a slice of it, right? Like we're oftentimes yeah. just dealing with some small plot that's happening with that in the background, which is the case for all of these things. I'm not, it's not a criticism. It's just kind of for our purposes of identifying and like locking down like the ideal um, dystopia. Um, I, you know, that made that film, that film and the cartoon might be worth revisiting. I haven't seen them in a while, so it might be worth looking at those. Um, I mean, also like if you're listening to this and you have ideas, like by all means um, you can send us tweets um, we'll kind of keep working this um, topic as long as it's, you know, still yeah. interesting to us and people are listening. Actually, I don't know that we care if people are listening. I mean, we do. We, we care, do, but we don't. We like you, you, We care that, like, how do I put this? We care about you. We're happy that you enjoy it. Um, 
but we're definitely not like looking to um find out exactly what you're interested we're in. We're not then... seeking validation. Oh, right. Right. Yes. Um not that it's lost on us. So anyway, I mean we'd love to hear from you. It's like this is as as one of my art teachers was always um very fond of saying art does not exist in a vacuum and so by all means please pipe up and express yourself if you have opinions. Um which we should probably try to plug that more at the beginning. Um, oh yeah. You can get a hold of us uh directly through our website fcbm.io which um is pretty easy to find. Uh you can also so from there you can find our email addresses but basically um you can always get a hold of Dana which is she's our executive assistant. You can get a hold of her at um dana at fcbm.io. Uh we have a Twitter account um fcbm under or at fcbm underscore io. Um we also have a Instagram account, which we don't use that much. Um nor do we really use it. the Twitter account we use occasionally. Um but if you if you tweet at us, we will see it right away. Tweet back. We'll tweet back or we will try to incorporate what you have to say about things. Um yeah. yeah. Oh, uh one of my favorite animation films, uh or anime films, uh Akira from nineteen eighty eight. Super dystopian. Super dystopian. Um that's definitely a good one. Um, I think Japanese anime has like a super has cornered the oh like, yeah futuristic dystopian. Yeah, definitely. I I mean, if you're into if you're into sci-fi and kind of like near future or like apocalyptic or any of the like kind of dystopian sci-fi tropes, um, anime is a rich, deep well to plumb. Um, <laughs> if you're interested in that, um, I mean, it's so it, like, so we'd mentioned the matrix, right? So there is a movie, the animatrix, which was a series of, or movie shorts basically, um, that revolve around the dystopian world of the, of the matrix and are done in, in, I think three different anime styles. Um, so, you know, it's definitely anime is, you know, well entrenched in world culture at this point. Um, yeah. So let's see. The Ghost in the Shell is really good too. Ghost in the Shell, absolutely fantastic. Um, also, and and these are so. Also, I think the the Japanese anime, um, in particular, and Ghost in the Shell is one that comes to light. It it's interesting because you start to wonder: Is it a dystopia? Um, there are. If you've watched, so if you watch the film then you would probably say yes, because it's much more focused around painting the sort of dystopian aspects of that world. But if you yeah. watch, um, if you've watched the standalone series, um, I think they call it like standalone complex or something. There's a lot. It's, it, it much more revolves around the idea that there is a semblance of everyday normal life that normal citizens can exist in. That is mm. not necessarily that far out from where we are in our sense of like, what would not be dystopia. Um, right. Not necessarily utopia, but for sure, we might argue um, that say like you know prior to um, maybe the last four or five years in America, people will probably say, well, it's not really a dystopia. Like we're doing okay. <laughs> like there's definitely shit that sucks. Um, now, of course, turns out if you're black, you'd be like, nope, it's been a dystopia the whole fucking time. Um, right. You know, maybe I don't know. I don't want to speak for th- uh, for someone. Um, but the impression I get based on, um, you know, reading and listening to other voices, it seems like this shit's been going on a long time and it's not exactly, this isn't news. You know what I mean? Uh-uh. Um, I mean, thank God it is now, but, um, four fucking centuries. Yeah. So, um, 
Yep. Yeah. I mean, obviously, as a white man, I should just pass my judgment about that and give my opinion because it matters, um, which it, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. And let me be clear. Like, it's, you know, don't listen to me. Listen to someone else who has has some authority on this subject and let's try and do better. Yeah. Um. Oh, what was I going to say? Uh, Batman. Batman. The, the universe of Batman ah, is absolutely like a yeah. dystopian city. Gotham City is a a bubble of dystopia, right? I mean, his, his existence is based on the idea that he is, um, fighting against the, the, you know, the, the existence of dystopia and trying to create a better yeah. world. Um, yeah. as we talked about before, when we talked about the book, do androids dream of electric sheep? There's obviously a film around that. Um, so Blade Runner is also an excellent dystopian, um, film the sequel to Blade Runner also great um, explores that world even more. Mm. Um, uh, let's see. Um, there's a very old movie called A Boy and His Dog from 1974, which I think is worth mentioning. Um, this is more of like a nuclear apocalypse kind of fall, like just like post post apocalyptic kind of. Um, movie but this is kind of this movie kind of follows this this 18 year old boy and this dog that um accompanies him and the dog is a psychic dog that can speak and so oh. um it it kind of follows the their adventures in 2024 ad um so you know in a couple of years right um Fun. it was directed by lq jones um produced by alvy moore uh it's based on a book called a boy and his dog by harlan ellison um who who also yeah so let's just confirm yeah so harlan uh, ellison um also wrote that uh short story i have no mouth and i must scream right yes so yes yeah and i almost want to do a whole short on i have i have no mouth and i must scream because i think it's a i think it's worth um getting into so i think we'll kind of Yeah, I think we'll I'm circling it. Maybe try and get that queued up. Um okay, so we've kind of uh I feel like we've kind of gone through a good number of them. Um I mean there's, there's a yeah. There's a huge one that I totally forgot to mention. Yeah. That I think is like one of the best movies ever. Which is uh, like regardless of genre. Yeah. Which was the most recent Mad Max Fury Road. Yes, Mad Max. Yes. So um this is a like excellent excellent um excellent example of um like a very extreme dystopia right um it's got okay so here's here's another one tribal even do that one under the art yeah i think we should um yeah so uh uh, mad max brings up another thing that i think we could identify as maybe a a, an important ingredient which is tribalism yep exactly all right tribalism yeah so um i think we could do an entire thing on just the mad max movies god they're so fucking good yes yeah and i think we um who run barter town (laughs) (laughs) master blaster runs barter town (laughs) so fucking good um oh and ridiculous yeah uh what was I okay? Yeah, so Mad Max. Yeah, I that was that's a really critical one. We we definitely needed to um mention. Yeah. Um. There was another one that keeps popping in and out of my head 
Um, and I can't, I can't quite grasp it. Like it comes and then it goes. I'll have to think about it. Okay. It'll come to me later. Well, so there's a very early film, a 1927 film, Metropolis, um, which. Oh, shit. That's what it was. That and the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So both of those films. Um, so uh, Metropolis by Fritz Lang, um, just like early, early visions of, of big city dystopia. Um, Metropolitan me- Metropolis dystopia. I mean, mm-hmm. the namesake. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the cabinet of Doctor um, Caligari. Yeah, that's like I want to say it's a dystopia, just because it's kind of like I don't know. It's kind of a horror movie, and it's kind of about nightmares, but like not. Uh, it's so. I mean, I don't know what other category I would put it in, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a silent horror film um, in its most grossest interpretation summary um, yeah. i don't mean yeah. like disgusting i mean like a it's overview um right it's uh so this is a movie that was um shot in or released in 1920 uh, i was directed by uh robert wine wine w-i-e-n-e um it's uh it's i don't know how to like summarize it um very trippy yeah, it's really, really twi- trippy. It's a kind of very twisted. Um, There's black and white. There's a lot of like, a lot of the decor is in conflicting patterns. So you'll see like stripes or checkers or like things that are, uh, that look very, um, that are sort of like visually assaulting when they're, when it's just in high contrast black and white. Right. And it, it basically. And it's creepy. Like it's very goth. Oh, the crow is another one too. The crow, yep. In, um, so yeah, it's yeah. So I would say I would argue this film, um, in a narrow view or like in a kind of, it has a microcosm of dystopia, right? So within the world of the film, it's all dystopian. You're, (laughs) You're kind of it follows, um, it kind of follows this story of this insane hypnotist who basically uses um a sleepwalker or some some somnambulist to commit murders right and so um it it in that regard it's dark very graphic um mind control it it features mind control um it's definitely dystopia for one um i don't know I don't know, you know, I mean, obviously we're not here to like pass judgment. So I think it's, you know, we mentioned it now. No take backs. Um, no take backs. <laughs> no take backs. <laughs> no do-overs. No do-overs. Um, yeah. So, um, oh man. So also like, uh, you know, since we're talking about TVs or TV shows a little bit too, um, we might as well mention like Game of Thrones. Um, you know, any of these movies you could make some argument for sort of dystopia. Um, yeah. Although, I mean, not, not in the like strong sense, like I think when most people think of it, but you do have aspects of, um, you know, repression of people suffering, um, you know, all of those things. Oh, a good one. Right. Gattaca. Ooh. Gattaca is a good one because it, um, it really explores a very particular aspect of, um, Mm -hmm. like loss of personal freedom or like, um, you know, having kind of like it's 
it's often described as like a biopunk film because it kind of addresses the issues of like people being genetically inferior and therefore unable to qualify for certain things. Um, and it, it kind of explores like what lengths people might go through to kind of jump through those hurdles in order to, you know, realize those dreams. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it does kind of, and it's also a good one because it paints it. It's, it looks at like, you can imagine the world of Gattaca. If you're not familiar with the film, it um, uh, basically follows. Um, it's a science fiction film. It has. Uh, it stars Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman, Jude Law, Lauren Dean. Um, it was directed by Andrew Nichol, um, produced by Danny DeVito, even and and some other people. But um, there, uh, um, it, it basically revolves around uh, this. Um, this guy Vincent, who's played by Ethan Hawke, um, who was conceived outside of this eugenics program. So basically, um, eugenics program is like a uh, you know a genetic birthing program where it's like people are only you know people give birth to people who are genetically superior, like they kind of already genetically manipulated to be a more superior version of whatever they could be. Um, a, a version like another way to think about it. So like when they when we talk about cloning. Um, and using CRISPR to edit genes and things like that. Yep. There's, there's editing that you can do and it only will impact the organism on which you're doing the editing. And then there's germline editing, which means that any changes you make will be passed on to any offspring that result from that organism. Right. Right. And um, so, yeah. So this, um, the, oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say right now, culturally uh, and scientifically and morally, everyone has agreed that we're not doing germline editing um, because of the ethical implications. Right. Um, I, but I mean, there's like, also argument um, for fallout from that that we're not aware of yet. Um, right. So it's yeah, eh, there, we, I won't get into it here because that's like a whole other like, hour long <laughs> yes, thing. Right. But the point is, like, in this futuristic society, the reason why it's creepy is because they deselect certain characteristics so that you're achieving ever closer to a, a particular idea of, like, human perfection. And only people who qualify for that get certain things. Yeah. And, yeah. And so Gattaca <laughs> kind of revolves around that, um, that idea and it follows Ethan Hawke or his character. Um, as he attempts to, cause he was born outside of eugenics. And so he attempts to realize his dream of going into space. And so, um, he has these procedures done in order to like, like basically, I think, take on the role of someone else who has better genetics or something, um, who, you know, through this weird deal. Um, yeah. but the, uh, what I wanted to get at is there's this, I, um, you could view this society in two lights. You could make a film where it shows the advantages and the greatness of this society, or you can show the dark side of it. Right. And so, um, this, the film view is obviously showing the kind of the dark side of it and the problems that come with it. And, um, it's a really moving and I think a very good film, like well acted and well directed and well written. Yeah. Um, I really like that one. Yeah. Um, in fact, it won, it was a nominee for uh, Academy Award for best art direction. Um, Golden Globe for best original score. So it's very, it's a good, it's definitely a very good film. Um, I think we've really kind of exhausted our hour and a half now. Yeah. Um, 
So I think uh, we could just wrap up. And do you have any tips for living well oh, in hell? Um, yeah, I don't know that I have one today. That's fine. Um, I mean, I think um, I what I could suggest. Resist. Maybe, <laughs> resist, right. Yes. Uh, I mean, today we could just stick with the common tip of like wear a mask, wash your hands, be courteous. Um, that will yeah. go. It, it just will go a long way. I mean, if you're interested in um, getting along with your fellow man, it will make things really smooth and 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 nice. So, um, and if you're not, I just recently heard a term called rat liquor, where um, the idea, like this, is like old 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 insult from plague days, where it was just basically like you're a dirty rat liquor, as in you're like purposely like infected with the like you're yeah fucking great i love this um but uh my personal don't tip be for, a rat liquor yeah my personal tip for living well in hell is that uh you don't call people rat lickers and you also don't be a rat liquor um great yeah just that's a really good one yeah so um all right anyway okay. <laughs> great job good job okay thanks everybody for listening and we hope you had a good time okay thanks okay bye, okay. bye.